You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. Amen. Let's give it up for Brenna. Uh, Great work, Brenna. Well, very good morning to you. My name's Corbin. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights. Excited to uh, dive in uh, to our scripture teaching today. Man, lots of fun things going on in the life of our church that kicked off last week with our fall kickoff. Women's Bible study. Who was at Women's Bible study this week? Yeah, lots of you women, women's Bible study. We've got men's breakfast coming here in a couple weeks. Alpha kicked off, which was amazing. We had an institute that I taught at on Wednesday night. Where are my institute people at? Uh, yeah, we've got some interesting people. Uh, man, amazing things going on in the life of our church. Uh, and man, if you're new here, I just want to reiterate a couple things that Avery said. If you're new here, be at the Connect class. Do not miss the Connect class. Man, we know whenever you come to a new church, it can feel really hard to know what the church believes, know how to get connected, know how to make a friend. The Connect class right after the next service, is the way in, okay? It is the one way in. We want to make that as easy as possible, so be there. Uh, And then secondly, man, Avery is doing an incredible job. I just want to honor her publicly, leading our Love Well ministry. Yeah, let's just honor Avery. And uh, this this is uh, uh, outreach and loving our unhoused neighbors right here on Colfax. You know, God placed us here on Colfax Permanent Facility, and we're like, man, we are called to love our neighbors, and some of our neighbors are our unhoused neighbors right out here on the street. Uh, We've got 50 of you signed up tonight to be at this training, uh, headed into the fall, which is amazing. We would love more. Uh, We would love more. There's a lot of work to be done right out here on Colfax, so if that's of interest to you, if you want to learn more about what it looks like to love our unhoused neighbors, we would love for you to be there, all right? Uh, let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Lord Jesus, we believe that you're alive. Uh, we believe that you are present here with us by the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe that whenever we open your word, that you are speaking. And so over these next few moments, next few minutes, uh, we want to pay attention to you. Uh, we want to listen to you. We've spent all week stressed out, um, listening to other voices, that have left us anxious and down, and we want to come and hear the voice of the living God. So come, help us pay attention, and then help us determine to obey you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today about how to say no to the things that will ruin your life, and how to say yes to the person who can renew your life. I want to talk to you about how to say no to the things that can and will ruin your life, and yes to the thing that will renew your life, the person that will renew your life, namely Jesus Christ. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is all about. We're not going to be there yet. <laughs> we get to, I think we're having problems with the slides, okay? Let's, let's take that down. Um, that's, not, that's not where we're going. Um, this is what 1 Corinthians 10 is about. In, in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, there's this section of this letter, of this New Testament letter that essentially is all about how to navigate the wilderness of life. And in chapters 8 and 9, if you remember, if you were with us in the spring, um, it was all about whether or not the people could eat meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul essentially says, yes, you're free. This is Christian freedom. We're not prudes. We're not all about morality. Go and eat the meat sacrificed to idols. But in chapter 10, he's going to double back and he's essentially going to say, but I do want you to pay close attention to what you are worshiping. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 is all about. It's all about idolatry. The book of 1 Corinthians is a book of warnings. You probably noticed that just in the reading today. There's a lot of warnings in our passage today. It's 
for lack of a better way of saying it, it's a very intense book. And I felt that as I started to write this week, I was like, every week is so intense. Can we get a break? Can we get a break? Well, we'll get one in like Advent. Merry Christmas, okay? (laughs) So it's like, it's an intense book. And here's why. Here's why it's such an intense book. It's like the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, feels like he doesn't have time to waste. He's like, I don't have time to waste. Um, It's a letter, this book is a letter written to followers of Jesus trying to be faithful to Jesus in the spiritual, religious, sexual, social complexity of their city called Corinth. And Paul's like, I don't have time to waste. Like, I've got to be serious with you guys. And you can think about it like this. The city of Corinth, that where this church is at, where these followers of Jesus are at, are living life, was a lot like Denver. It was a lot like how you live life in Denver. It was this melting pot of religious and spiritual and sexual ideology from all over the Roman Empire. And what had happened at the church in Corinth is that the idols and ideologies of the city had infiltrated the church. You see, what had happened is Jesus had given the church this mission to go out there and take the ideologies of heaven out there into their city called Corinth, and he's given us the same mission. But what had happened in Corinth, as Paul planted this church in Corinth, is that the exact opposite had happened. The ideologies and idols of the city were infiltrating the church. It's like everything is backwards in Corinth. And the people had started orienting all of life around these ideologies and idols of the city of Corinth. And the guy who started this church, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to help them and in turn help us walk faithfully with Jesus in the heart of a complex city that feels like it's constantly pulling us intellectually and spiritually and sexually and socially and ethically and morally in a thousand different directions. It's like, how do you be faithful to Jesus in a city as complex as Denver, as you go into your workplace and you live on your block and you have friends that are close to you but far from God? How do you stay faithful to Jesus? And ultimately, 1 Corinthians 10 is a chapter about how to resist the idols of the city and walk faithfully with Jesus for the long haul. How to say no to the things that can and will ruin life, and yes to the person who can renew life, namely Jesus. And if I were to summarize 1 Corinthians 10 in two words, it would be these two words. Be careful. Be careful. Like, how do you follow Jesus in the complexity of a city like Denver? Carefully. And you're going to see those words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Be careful. Pay attention to what it is that you are orienting your life around. Be careful. That's 1 Corinthians 10. So let's dive in. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this. Now, I do not want you to be unaware. So he says, I think you guys are unaware of some things that I want to make you aware of. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, and he's going to start to remind us of the story of the Exodus from the Old Testament, second book in the Bible, that our ancestors in the Exodus were all under the cloud. He's going to use some weird language here, but then I'm going to explain it. They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So right here, he is using this imagery from the Exodus, where God's people had been trapped in slavery. You know the story, likely. God's people had been trapped in slavery. God comes and meets them through his servant Moses and saves them by, by his amazing power. 
And right here, he uses all of this imagery to show that the same way Jesus saved the people out of Egypt, and I'm using the the name Jesus very intentionally there, is the same way Jesus saved you and me. You see that that rock that was back there doing work in the Exodus was Christ. You see, Jesus is all over the Bible. This is when he was the pre-incarnate son of God. He was back there saving his people in the same way that he's still saving people today. This is amazing. And he uses all of this imagery that shows how the same way God saved them is the same way that he saved us, that they were delivered through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. This is the cross of Jesus Christ. That they were all baptized into the sea. You see, you remember the story of people passing through the waters of the sea. This is why we take baptism, by the way, really seriously around here, because people have been being baptized in water as a sign of their deliverance all the way back in the Exodus, and this is the same thing Jesus says now. Go, make disciples, and baptize them. First thing that shows that he has delivered us from Satan's sin, hell, and death. You see that they were in the cloud. You remember the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led them. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And then they ate food and drank drink. That's communion that we will take here in just a little bit, reminding us of the Passover meal. In essence, he's saying the same Jesus that saved them is the same Jesus that saved you. But here's what I want you to see, and we'll look at this next, is that even though they experienced the power of Jesus like this, things did not go well for them. Look at the next couple of verses here. Verses 5 and 6. Nevertheless, even though they had experienced this incredible salvation, the power of God, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. They experienced the power of God. They were baptized, given the Holy Spirit, but it didn't go well. So you say it. Since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, that wilderness language is a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible, and it's a metaphor for life, that life is like the wilderness. And we're aiming, like pilgrims, marching through the wilderness of life toward the promised land where Jesus is going to make all things new, and he goes, hey, they didn't make it to the promised land. Things didn't go well. They got struck down. Now, look at verse 6. Now, these things, go back. Now, these things took place. All of their story in the book of Exodus took place as examples for us. He goes, we should pay attention to what happened to them because they're examples for us. So that, here's the purpose, we will not desire evil things as they did. He goes, pay attention to their story don't repeat the story. That's the point. Pay attention to their story. Don't repeat the story. In the next few verses, he's going to name four big things that tripped them up in the wilderness that are likely to trip us up as well. Let's look at the next few verses here, starting in verse 7. He says this, don't become idolaters. There's thing number one that tripped them up. Don't become idolaters, as some of them were, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. So they were partiers. And this is talking about festivals to foreign gods. They just ate and drank and partied. You know, you're like, sounds nice. You're like, he's saying, well, don't do that. Don't do that. Number two is this, sexual immorality. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. You're like, dang. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Some of you are like, if you've been tracking with us through 1 Corinthians, you're like, every week we talk about sex. It's like, 
1 Corinthians 1, sex. 1 Corinthians 2, sex. 1 Corinthians 3, 4, 5, 6, sex. 7, 8, 9, 10, sex, you know? And it's, it's like, there's a power to sex. If you read 1 Corinthians that Paul's saying, pay attention. Be careful with your sexuality. He does it again here. There's a third one here, verse 9, let us not test Christ. We'll talk about what that is here in just a second. As some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. By the way, some of you think that's weird. Not the first people to be destroyed by a snake in the scriptures, right? Not the first people. This is common imagery from the garden, right? Verse 10, number four. And don't grumble. I think this is a fascinating one. Don't be complaining about life. He goes, they grumbled, they started complaining about life, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket for them. So don't grumble. I have been, now I'll be honest, this is where I'm just going to be vulnerable to you. I have been so convicted by those three words this week, as I've said this, and don't grumble. I'll talk about what that means here in just a second. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. He's saying all of these things have very serious consequences. All four of these things destroyed them. Now he repeats what he said above. He said these things, verse 11, happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So, here's his main point. Whoever thinks he stands must, here are two words, be careful not to fall. Um, In other words, some of you enter into this place today and you think you're cruising through life. You think you're doing fine. You're at a place that you like. You got a job that you like. You got the mountain ski seasons coming. Aspen's about to change. Life's good. You're cruising. And Paul's going, hey, I know life might be good. I know, in his metaphor, you feel like you are standing. But for those of you that feel like you're standing, by the way, others of you feel like you are flat on your face. And today we're going to go, why are you flat on your face? But for those of us who feel like we're standing, Paul goes, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Let's be careful not to fall. Now, in this section, he names the four things. He names the four things that are prone to trip us up in life. Here are the four again. They're right there on the screen. Idolatry, sex, testing Christ. What is testing Christ? Well, it's asking the question, how far can I go and still be loved by God? You guys know that question? It's called, when I was in high school, my mom would say, don't test the limits. That's testing Christ. What are the limits? What are the limits How far can I go and remain in the love of God? That's the third one. And then he names grumbling. I love this. Or complaining. What is complaining? What is grumbling? Well, it's anti-contentment. It's all about this propensity in our hearts to not be satisfied with what the Lord has sovereignly and providentially given to us and always wanting more and different things. It's like, you know, he's appealing to this story in the Old Testament I was very convicted by this this week, the grumbling part in particular. Uh, but he's putting this story in the Old Testament where the people are like, in the wilderness, they're starving, they're thirsty. They look at God, they go, we're starving out here. And God gives them food. And then they go, we're thirsty out here. And God gives them miraculous water. And they go, don't you have something better? <laughs> and God's like, 
grumbling. It'll get you. He goes, be aware. This is one of the four things. Idolatry, sex, testing Christ, and grumbling. Now, the way to think about these things is that idolatry is like the main one. That's why he lists it first. Idolatry is like the main one, and the three things that come after idolatry kind of are in this umbrella. They are behaviors that are the outworking of the idolatry, okay? And so that's how you have to, that's how you have to think about it. Idolatry is the main one. It's this umbrella, and the other three things, sex, sexual immorality in particular, grumbling, testing Christ, are the outworking of idolatry. So you can think about it like this little, little word picture. Um, sex, testing Christ, and grumbling are like the smoke signal coming from the source fire of idolatry that's burning in your heart. They're the signal that they're the behavior signal that something wrong is going on in your heart, namely idolatry. So we need to talk about here and understand idolatry. We need to talk about and understand idolatry. So let's talk about idolatry. If you pay attention to the story of the Bible, you could make the case that idolatry is the central problem in the Bible. It's the central problem. Um, people's natural propensity, I'll give you a better definition here in just a second, people's natural propensity, our natural propensity to worship other things than the one true God. This is the central problem in the Bible. In fact, the reason I think it's the central problem in the Bible is because it's the first of the Ten Commandments. It's the very first one. God's like, if there's one thing that I put above everything that I want you to not do, it is worship other things beside me. Look at this. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, first of the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words. In the Hebrew, it's the ten words. That's what the Ten Commandments are. He says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Don't do it. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Commandment number one. And, if, and the Ten Commandments are actually structured in a really, uh, really specific way, intentional way, where idolatry governs the other nine. It's like the other nine are all behaviors if you pay attention to how the Ten Commandments work, that are the outworking of the first breaking of the first command to not have any false gods before the Lord your God. Now, the problem is, uh, it's 2023, and whenever we start to talk about idols, most of us are prone to think, like, unless you've been around church for a long time, which if you are, you're like, I am an idolater. I'm ready to repent now. But it's like, if you haven't been around church for, for a long time and you, 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 don't, you aren't necessarily religious or you don't think about these things often, you're prone to think, well, like, I don't think I do that. Like, I don't think I have an idol. Because here's what we think whenever we think about idolatry. We think like, and this is going to be extreme, of course, but we think like, an idolater is this, like, weird spiritual guru who has this, like, back closet in their room where they go into, and there's, like, this shrine, and there's little candles and incense, and you bow down, and you, like, throw coins. <laughs> you know, I don't know. We, like, think that this is what idolatry is. This will be a, this will date me a little bit, but I don't know if you've ever seen the show Hey Arnold. For those of you who have, you're gonna, like, you're gonna love this. I, but it's like Helga and Hey Arnold has this shrine of football head in her closet, and she goes down and bows down to it, 
And it's like most of us, whenever we think of idolatry, like that's kind of what we think of. Or you think of a third world country where people still do this kind of thing, and you're like, well, those people are idolaters. I am not. But if you pay attention to the, to the Bible, the concept of an idol is much more intricate than that. It's so much more than that. Biblically, we'll define it this way, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. That's what an idol is. Anything that takes the place of God in your life. Here's a few ways of thinking about it. Idolatry is when something becomes so central and essential to your life that you cannot imagine life being happy or worth living without that thing. That's what an idol is. So some of you are like, oh, maybe I'm an idolater. Yeah, me too, me too. You can think about it this way. Something so important to you that if you lost that thing, life would hardly be worth living. That's what an idol is. If you lose it, you fall apart. It's over. That's what an idol is. Or you can think about it this way. The, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, for worship is the word kabod. And if I said it like it should be said, my wife would relentlessly make fun of me later at home, okay? So you can think about it as like kabod, okay? It sounds like kabod. And the idea of kabod, somebody like that, uh, you, you won't forget that now. Uh, the idea of kabod in, in the Hebrew scriptures is the idea of weight, of weight, and so you can think about it, in the, in the Jewish mindset or in the Hebrew mindset, the, the idea to worship something is to assign it a weight in life, that it's a thing that carries a lot of weight and sway in your life. And so you can think about it this way. You can say it's an idol is something that's in your heart that is so weighty in your heart that you could not imagine life without that thing being any good. Now, Whenever we start talking about idols, here's the tricky part. The tricky part is that an idol is almost always something that's inherently good. So it becomes very tricky to identify it and get rid of it, which is what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. It's almost always something that is inherently good. It's not a bad thing that you've got to get rid of. It's a good thing that has become a little g God thing. And I, I love the way J.D. Greer, who's a pastor uh, at a church called Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, they helped plant our church. He says it this way. He goes, an idol is a good thing that becomes a, a God thing, and when it becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing for you. And so it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that becomes a, a God thing that then becomes a bad thing for you. That's what an idol is. That's how we think about, that's how we think about idolatry in the scripture. So let me ask you this. Here, here's the question. What is that for you? What is it for you? And it's probably not an it, but it's like, what are those things, <laughs> plural, for you? The things that carry so much weight in life that you can't imagine life without that thing, those things being worth living. What is it for you? The things that if you lost them, you think, I don't know if I could go on living. Good thing becomes a God thing that then becomes a bad thing for you. What is that thing? John Calvin famously said that human nature 
is that our hearts are perpetual idol factories. And so this isn't like a, oh yeah, I heard a sermon on idolatry five years ago and I repented of all of my idols and now I'm totally fine. It's that what we do is we continually lean our souls on things that cannot deliver on the promises that they are making. That's an idol. So think about an idol like this. Here's another word picture. An idol is not so much about what you bow your knee to, it's about what you lean your soul on. It's not about what you bow your knee to physically, it's about what you derive meaning and purpose and value from. That is what an idol is. What is that for you? Now, if you're having a hard time, I brought a list. (laughs) You're welcome. I I just want to be helpful to you. Um, So here's some common idols, you know? We're going, going, man, you know, what are, what are we prone to lean the weight of our soul on? What are we prone to bow and worship to? And here's some common things. Maybe for you, it's relationships. And I don't know what your relationship status is. Maybe it's friendships because you feel lonely. Maybe it's marriage because you want to be married. Maybe it's a fiance um, because you're like, man, my idol is marriage, and so I just want to be engaged. Maybe it's a boyfriend. Maybe it's a girlfriend. Maybe you're like, man, I really want to have kids, and when I have kids, I'm going to be totally full. What is carrying weight in your life? Is it a relationship? Maybe for you it's money and all of the things that come with money. It's material possessions. This is mine, okay? I'll just tell you. It's like, I always want a new car. I do. I like, I think cars are cool. You know, it's like, I always, how do I, I'm being vulnerable and you guys are like, really? You know? Um, It's like, I always think, man, if I just had a little bit more money, I think I would be happier. That's like an idol. That's an idol thing, right? Maybe for you, it's, it's savings accounts because you want to feel secure. Maybe for you, it's investment accounts because you want your future to be bright, and you go, man, these things are going to pay off in the future. I don't know. What is it a money thing for you? By the way, Jesus, there's a lot I could say about money. I, I got to get to how we escape our idols here in just a second, so I got to kind of hurry. But Jesus, in the gospel, statistically talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. Why? Well, because money is the one thing that can seemingly give us all of the things that only God himself can provide. It's like security. Only God can make you truly secure, but, if we think we, but what we think is we think, if I have a big enough savings account, then I'm going to be totally fine. The problem is, whenever you get that amount of money, whatever that amount of money in, in there is, you go, I think I'll be, actually be fine if I double it. <laughs> and then you double it, and you're like, well, that was like the... HVAC emergency, what if a tornado comes? You know, it's like, um, it's just perpetual. It's just perpetual. Um, maybe for you, it's career achievement. You're, you're a very driven person. Um, this one's another one of mine. It's like you're driven. You want to achieve. You want to crush. You want to be the best in your field. You want to climb the ladder, whatever, and you need to achieve. Maybe for you, it's physical beauty. This is a big one. Uh, and it's like, I want to be beautiful. I don't like my body. I want to, and you're obsessed with working out or physical fitness or achieving the next goal. And that has become an idol. It's a good thing. I'm, we're not, we're being nuanced here. We're not saying, we're going, all of these things are good things. All of these things are a gift from God. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing for you. It's like, I got to lose the weight. That's a good thing. Don't let it become a God thing, Right? So maybe it's, maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's physical beauty. Maybe you're like, I don't want to, and this is, this is touchy because I realize I'm a 
a man in my 30s, but it's like, I don't want to appear as though I'm aging. This is a big one. And it's like, maybe that's become an idol to you, like anti-aging stuff. I don't know. Entertainment. It's like the shows, the apps, the social media, entertainment, experiences. I want to go on the next trip. I got to always have the thing out there because it makes me feel like I'm living for something. Maybe it's image. You're like, I, I got to have people that like me and love me. This is a big one for me. It's like, I want you to like me. I do. I thought about it this morning when I got up. I hope they think my sermon's good. And then I think like, what if it's not? And I think, everybody's going to live. You know? I literally told myself that. I literally told myself that this morning. These are the, like, look in the mirror. This might not go well. And you will live. (laughs) And you will live. Maybe it's image for you. What is your thing? Now, notice this. Again, want to be nuanced. None of these are bad things. These are all good things. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it can easily become a bad thing for you. And here's what I mean by bad. I don't necessarily mean morally bad, though it is morally bad. I mean destructive for you. That's why this is serious. That's why Paul is saying, be careful. I want you to pay attention. Because if you pay attention to the first section here in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul links idolatry of the heart to destructive behavior. So here's what happens. A lot of us, uh, what, what will happen is, I gotta hurry, man. A lot of us will, uh, we will have a, have a behavior that we don't like. We'll go, man, I've got the addiction I've got the sexual behavior that I don't like. Um, I've got the spending habits that I don't like, whatever. We have this behavior that we don't like. And what we think we need to do is we need to try harder and do behavior modification. And we, so we do things that are good and fine. Uh, We put a plan together to get out of it and stop doing it. We do accountability groups, which are good things. But what you'll notice is if you just do behavior modification, it rarely works. Like you, you just keep doing the stupid thing that you don't want to do. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there. Where you're like, and Paul even says this, I do the things I don't want to do. And if you think about it, like behavior modification is like having weeds in your yard, here's an image, and going out there every day and taking a pair of scissors, which would be monotonous, and cutting the top off the weed, and putting it in a trash bag, and cutting it. You do that for all thousand weeds. You go to sleep, you wake up, you come back, and they're all there again. It's like, this is, how, this is how a lot of us deal with bad behavior. And by bad, I mean destructive, destructive behavior that we don't want to do. But what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10 is that behavior is always linked to worship. Always. And so if you want to get rid of your bad behavior, sexual immorality, grumbling, texting Christ, what you need to do is you need to go and you need to pull it up by the roots. Namely, you need to worship something different. You don't have, in other words, you don't have a behavior problem. Paul is saying you have a worship problem. And you can't work your way out of something that you worshiped your way into. You have to worship your way out of it. This is it. If you want to stop the bad thing, stop the destructive thing, it has to do with the idols of the heart. Let me show you this really quickly. Um, So he he names three behaviors. I just want to show you how this works. He names three behaviors. Uh, The first one's sexual immorality. So whenever sexual immorality is out there, what you have to really ask, if you want to get rid of the behaviors, you have to go, what's the idol underneath sexual immorality? What's the fire burning that's causing this smoke signal? 
What is it? Well, sexual morality could be, I want to be loved, and that's an idol. I want romance, and that's an idol. I want to be accepted, and sex makes me feel accepted by somebody. I want relationship, and this guy that I'm dating says, if I don't have sex with him, he will break it off with me, so I'm giving, I'm giving him what he's asking for because I want relationship, and relationship's an idol in my life. Or maybe for you, it's just pleasure, and that's the idol underneath, sexual morality. Uh, let's do another behavior. Uh, the, other beha- the second behavior is testing Christ. How much can I get away with? What's the idol underneath the behavior of testing Christ? Well, it could be one of a thousand things. It could be the idol of freedom. I don't want, or we could say it this way, the idol of autonomy. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. Namely, God. I don't want anybody else or God himself telling me how to live my life. That's the idol underneath testing Christ. Another idol underneath testing Christ is the self. Charles Taylor, the philosopher, he said, the main God of the secular age is the God of the self. We just look inward. We worship ourselves. Um, Grumbling, complaining, going, man, I always want more. I always want different. If you feel that way, I want more money. I want different things. I want more experiences. I'm not satisfied. This is anti-commitment. I'm not satisfied with what I have. What is the question we have to ask is what is the idol underneath that behavior? Well, it could be money. It could be possessions. It could be status. It could be something as simple as a car. It could be something as simple as a house. At its core, what idolatry does is it corrupts our behavior. It always corrupts our behavior. You can think about it this way. Every idol that we have requires a sacrifice. This is how gods work. They demand sacrifice. And the sacrifice is typically going to be some sort of behavior that is destructive to you and destructive to the people around you. Every idol requires a sacrifice. Um, So here's what I want you to see right here. Worship drives behavior, always. And the key is that you can't, I said this earlier, you can't work your way out of something that you worshiped your way into. If you worshiped your way into it, you've got to worship your way out of it. You need a different God, and that God is Jesus Christ. So back to the text. Paul says, the second they walked out of Egypt, let's go back to the text, here we go. The second they walked out of Egypt, they fell prey to idolatry, and it was the unwinding of everything to them. So he gives this command. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Pay attention. So the question then becomes, how do we be careful? How do we pay attention? How do we walk through the wilderness of life carefully so that we can stay faithful to Jesus, receive the promises of Jesus, and not stumble and fall by all of these idols? Well, in the rest of the chapter, I think Paul gives us three ways that we can be careful. Three ways that we can be careful. Number one is this, run away from your idols. (laughs) Some of this is gonna be very obvious. Just like, Figure out what they are. That's why we spent so long identifying them. And then run away. Run away. So look right here, uh, starting in verse 13. It says this. No temptation has come upon you except what is, notice this word, common to humanity. Whenever you come into a religious environment like this, whenever you uh, go into community group, the temptation is going to be to think, I'm the only one that struggles with blank. The addiction, the sex thing, the, you know, the worship of the car, my personal idol, what I look like, whatever, I'm the only one. Paul goes, no, you're not. 
I know your grandmother told you that you're a unique little butterfly and you are not. You know? <laughs> you're just not. It's like there's no shame. I love this right here. There's no shame in dealing with the idols and the behaviors of those idols that you're dealing with because no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but look at this promise. God is faithful. He's not going to quit on you. This is a big story of the Bible. This is the gospel. Even though you and I, we've gone and worshiped all kinds of other things, God is faithful to you anyways. This is the gospel. Like, he doesn't quit on you. Look at this. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, he gets like tender. He's been harsh. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. He goes, God is always cracking the door for you to get away. Run through the door. (laughs) Now you go, well, what's the door? What I would say, today is the door. Like right now. Whatever, like the spirit is bubbling up in your heart. And then the Spirit saying through the word right now, get out of there. The question is like, will you get out of there today? This is the fleeing thing. Run away. Run away. Now, what happens is, is that whenever it comes to what we're tempted by, whether it's the behavior or the idol, all, what all of us like to do is we like to play the victim. We like to go, well... If you only knew my circumstances, you would know why I struggle with this. If you only knew X, Y, and Z about my childhood, and some of that, like childhood trauma is real. I'm not really talking about that. I'm just going, man, we like to blame things for our sin. We like to play the victim. And so here's what happens when you play the victim. You fall prey to this thought pattern where you go, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about the idol. I can't do anything about the behavior because X, Y, and Z. And what Paul does right here in verses 13 and 14 is he goes, yes, you can. The question, though, is do you really want to? That's the real question. Because according to this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's always opening a door for you to get out of whatever thing that you think you are overwhelmed by. And the question is, are you ready to just run through the door? He goes, you can flee temptation. So we need to talk about temptation. Let me me show you this really quickly. I want to show you how temptation works. They're all Ds. I got this from a friend in Miami. I made the last two Ds for you. Uh, The last two were not Ds. I made them Ds for you, okay? Here's Here's how temptation works. I made his thing better. And I told him that. I did. Anyways, if you pay attention to Genesis 3, this is how original temptation, Adam and Eve are tempted. This is how temptation works. This is how it'll work in your life. Deception, you will have a deceptive thought come your way. It'll lead to doubt about the goodness of God. Can I really trust God? The doubt will lead to disordered desire. It'll go, man, I don't think God can make me happy. I think this thing can make me happy. That's where the idol comes in. Idols are all about desire. What do you desire? What do you really desire? It'll lead to a disordered desire. 
that, that desire will give way to disobedience. Notice, behavior doesn't start until number four. There's so much going on under the surface, idle stuff. Whether we're trusting God, behavior doesn't start until number four. Disobedience, when we disobey, it leads to disorder in life, and then it leads to a disaster. And Paul's just saying this. Let's go to the next slide here. Paul says, so then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Identify your idols. First thing we do is run away from our eyes. Second thing is this. Second thing is this. Devote yourself to what is beneficial. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says this. This is a very helpful, I wish I had longer to talk about this. Everything is permissible. So we've been talking about Christian freedom. We're not religious prudes. Everything is permissible to you. Everything's been opened up by Jesus. You know, it's like Peter, you know, they had all these food laws and everything, and Jesus opens up everything. He goes, take it and eat. You're free, man. Like, we're not religious prudes. Everything's permissible, but not everything is, keyword, beneficial. And then he says it a different way. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds you up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And so, in essence, he, he says, okay, you're going to run away from your idols, flee, dear children, from your idols, and you're going to run to what is beneficial. This is very straightforward. He goes, think of all of the things that are beneficial to you, all of the things that build your faith, all of the things, all of the practices that help you faithfully pursue Jesus, and just do that. <laughs> just do it. Over and over and over and over again. Just do it. So we talked about the path. Let's go to the next slide here. We talked about the path of temptation, deception, doubt, desire, disobedience, disorder, disaster. But there's an opposite to all of these, and we'll call it the path of deliverance. And I think these are the things that are the beneficial things. Give yourself to things that reorient you around the truth. Give yourself to things that, these are just the opposites of the path of temptation. Give yourself to things that build your faith, that are beneficial to your faith. Give yourself to things that renew your desires. Give yourself to things that call you to radical obedience to the way of Jesus, because in your obedience, you will see your life start to fall into order. Do you know Jesus created this world? He created life in this world to be lived in a certain way, and when you find that and you start to obey him, you will see order happen in your life, and then flourishing will happen in your life. This is the path of deliverance. Give yourself to the beneficial things. Third is this. Third is this. Dethrone the idol and rethrone Jesus Christ. Dethrone the idol and rethrone Jesus Christ. Dethrone the idol and rethrone Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, you can't work your way out of something that you worshiped your way into. In fact, the First two pieces of advice, I think, are guarded by this piece of advice right here. This is the heart of the matter. At our core, we don't have behavior problems. We have worship problems. I want to say that again, because so many Christians spend their whole life doing behavior modification, and some of us will spend 10 years doing behavior modification, and you will eventually say, this Christianity stuff doesn't work, and you will walk away, and I'm up here to tell you behavior modification, the Bible says it never worked, it was never meant to work, we don't have behavior problems, we have worship problems, and you can't work your way out of something you worshiped your way into, we must worship our way out of destructive behavior, 
So look at verse 31. Notice how the language he uses in this very famous verse is worship language. It's all about worship. Look at this. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, he goes, think of all of life, work, friends, all of life. Here's the command. Do everything for the glory of God. Notice that he uses worship language here. Doing everything for the glory of God. Eating, drinking, spending money, marriage, singleness, friendship, career, buying houses, selling houses, doing investments, working out, raising kids, whatever. Put everything underneath God himself and do everything in life as an act of worship to him. This verse right here is not about playing a great football game. This, this verse right here is all about bringing all of life as an act of worship to Jesus. Why? Because you can only worship your way out of worship problems. The natural drift of life, and we all feel this, is for things in our life to pull Jesus off the throne. There's this like magnetism to the city and the idols of the city that we consistently resist because Jesus is better. He's the one that can like give us all of the things that our hearts are drawn to. Security, purpose, identity, meaning, life. He's the one. He's the big G God that can deliver us from all of our enemies, Satan, sin, hell, and death. And so as we move into a time of response, this is where I want to go. We, in this time of response, here's what we're doing. We're dethroning the idols, and we're rethroning Jesus Christ. We're dethroning the idols, and we're rethroning Jesus Christ. We're asking the question, man, what has replaced Jesus in my life? And we're going to go, man, I'm going to take that off the throne of my life. I'm going to invite Jesus to come sit on the throne where all of these good things in my life that have become God things begin to bow down to the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart, Jesus Christ. Dethroning the idols, rethroning Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us, and then Jonathan's going to lead us in a time of response. Jesus, we love you. And we just want to take a few moments this morning and we want to identify the places where we have broken the very first commandment. Where we've prioritized other things in life other than you. We've drawn meaning and identity and purpose and value from work and relationships and achievement and money and experiences and physical beauty, you know, there's just so much. And over these next few moments, we just want to lay them at your feet. And we want to say, you are king. You're the one that says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You're the one who's defeated sin through a cross and death through a resurrection. You're the one who can raise us from the dead and give us eternal life so that even though if we age and our bodies decay, you're going to make everything new and by faith in you, we get to be a part of it. I mean, my goodness, you are the better God. You can give us everything we long for. And so we just declare these moments, these next 15 minutes or so, as a dethroning and a rethroning. 
We're laying everything at your feet. We're saying your way is the better way. So I want to invite you, Holy Spirit. We can only do this in the power of the Spirit. We can only do this through worship. We're not doing behavior modification. We're doing worship modification. We're getting down to the root over the next few minutes. So come, Holy Spirit. Identify our idols. Help us flee. Help us devote ourselves to the things that build up and give life. And help us be people who are continually, every morning, dethroning and rethroning. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.